The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ruth, the entire chapter of chapter 1 in the New Revised Standard Version. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The man's name was Melech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahon and Chilion, and they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Amimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of one was Orpheth, and the other was Ruth. They had lived there about ten years. Both Mahlon and Chilion also died, so that the women were left without their two sons and her husband. Then she started out to return to the, with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the country of Moab, that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from this place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-laws, and they went out on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to the two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, no. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb so that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far better, it has been far bitter for me than for you, because of the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to, to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus, and so to me, and more as well, even if 
if even death parts me from you. Then Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, and she said no more to her. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. Then they came to Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you're familiar with those eye things. I don't know how to describe them. They're like the two pictures in one, and they'd show them in like maybe a psychology class or at like a TED talk, and they'd be like, do you see the old woman or do you see the bunny rabbit? And you'd be like, I don't see either. And then they like show you the old woman in the picture, and you're like, oh, of course. And then you can't stop seeing the old woman, and they try and show you the bunny rabbit, and you're like, I don't see the bunny rabbit. And then you see the bunny rabbit, and then you like don't see the old woman anymore, and you're fixated on like the bunny rabbit. And it's only when you sort of pull away from the picture or come back to it maybe in like a week, and you're like, oh, I can see both. Um, our vision is a lot like that. Uh, we get fixated on things, or we see things anew and fresh when we encounter it again. I remember in college, I got into a really bad accident and told my car, and I uh, got the check from the insurance company, and I got to go car shopping. And I was sort of a, a fanatic about a particular car that I thought was very unique, and it was a Jeep Wrangler. And I was looking for a very particular model of Jeep Wrangler, which was a YJ. For all those car folk out there, you know what I'm talking about. Those were the ones with the square headlights, not the round headlights. And this was going to be my car. And I wanted the Sahara edition in Aztec gold. And I found one. And I was like, I am the only person in all of northern Indiana who owns a uh, Sahara gold uh, Jeep Wrangler. And then I started seeing my car everywhere, and I became a little upset because I was like, no, I sought this car out, but I began seeing it everywhere. Like all of a sudden, everybody also had Jeeps, but really that's not the case. It's just because I became more aware of it and its context. Once you notice something, when it's brought to your attention, all of a sudden you can see it. It's there in front of you, and you may not have seen it before. Reading a whole book of the Bible is just like that. When you sit down and you read a whole chapter, verse by verse, and the next week we're going to read Ruth chapter 2, the week after that we're going to read Ruth chapter 3, and the week after that we're going to read and finish the book of Ruth. By the time that we are done, we will have seen things in the text that have always been there, and things that are sort of brought to life and light 
anew before us as we encounter it again and again. It'll be exciting. I hope you uh, tune in kind of next week and in the following weeks as we encounter the book of Ruth together. I want to begin with some background on the book of Ruth. Uh, The first thing that I need to remember when I encounter this book is that it's not like a lot of the other Old Testament books that I think about. I think about like Israel, right? And usually when I think of Israel, I think of like this proto-nation state. I think of like the country of Israel. But when we read Ruth, that country does not exist. Uh, There are these 12 tribes. We will remember that they had been enslaved in Egypt and Moses brings them to the promised land. Joshua leads the people to the conquest of this area called Canaan. Canaan and Cana is uh, a word that means the land between. This is such a a pivotal place in, in all of world history. This chunk of land called Israel, which is to be occupied by the 12 tribes, is this land bridge between three gigantic places in the ancient world. You have Europe, Africa, and Asia, and Israel sort of right in the middle there. It's a very important piece of land, and that's where our story takes place. The book of Ruth can be found in the Hebrew scriptures, and it can be found in the Christian scriptures in the Old Testament. It's a part of the historical genre And you can find it as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So it's the eighth book of the Bible. We'll do well to remember that it was not written in English. It would be a lot easier if it was. Uh, It was written in Hebrew. And so as such, there's a lot of sort of wordplay that keeps coming up throughout the book of Ruth. Uh, I'll try and point to some of those words, and uh, you can hear some of the illusions of what's happening in the background that we've lost in the English translation, and that's okay. As far as who wrote it, your guess is as good as mine. This is a very, very old story, and we do not know who wrote it. Uh, it is a very unique story in the fact that it is um, one of a few ancient narratives that the focus is on a woman and not a man, right? When you think of ancient literature like Homer's Iliad or the Odyssey or maybe the Gilgamesh epic or some of these other kind of, you know, fanciful tales of old and ancient, they're all sort of male-dominated. And there are certainly male characters in the book of Ruth, but this is a story that really hones in on these women in their context, culture, time, and place. A lot of scholars will place the book of Ruth in like the 500 BCE to the destruction of the temple in 70 CE, somewhere in there. But if I'm being honest, ultimately some of those details don't matter, I think, for us today. What matters is, what does Ruth mean for us in our context? And the book of Ruth and all of Scripture is alive, and we encounter God through this beautiful revelation of God. 
And so I think there's a lot more to Ruth than just sort of the dusty historical details. And I want to get into some of that today. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to pull it open. It doesn't matter what translation it is. If you got a good old-fashioned King James Version, if you got something like The Message or an NASB or NR, it does not matter what translation it is. In fact, it could be very interesting for you because you might see some words that are translated differently. And that could be um, an opportunity for further study on your part. I want to encourage you to join Pastor Peter uh, this coming week. He's going to be leading a Bible study on Ruth that'll allow you to dive a little bit deeper uh, in Ruth chapter 1. And next week he'll do the same thing, offer a Bible study on Ruth chapter 2 and so on and so forth for the next four weeks. I'm struck by a few things in the first chapter. First we get the timeline of when we encounter the story of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled. Remember that Moses hands leadership off to Joshua, and Joshua hands leadership off to nobody. (laughs) And so the judges are brought up, and sort of uh, this proto-nation of Israel becomes decentralized, and it's leadership. They don't have a king. Uh, They don't have one central leader. There's a lot of different strong regional leaders There's mention of this place called Moab, which we will remember. You have to have a little bit of Old Testament knowledge here. The Moabites were descendants of a guy named Lot, who came out of a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot's family tree is not very broad and wide. And the political relationships between the Moabites and the Israelites, they're a mixed bag. Sometimes they're at peace, sometimes they're at war, but that's who Ruth is. That's her stock. It's where she comes from. One of the main characters in the first couple verses is this woman named Naomi. And Naomi means sweetness. This is the sort of bubbly person that you and I all know and sometimes uh, wish would leave our parties before <laughs> they end. She's this uh, full of life character at the beginning of our story. And she marries Elimelech, which, names mean, which his name means my God is king. And in verse 3, he dies. Like what possibly could go wrong? Elimelech takes his family and they, they move to Moab for a, a business venture. They're going to they're gonna start a franchise. We don't know why he moves his family away from their home. Their home, he's an Ephrathite, which it's debated what that means or what it comes from. We know that it's somewhat related to Bethlehem. And you can hear the irony kind of percolating already in the story because Bethlehem means house of bread, and there's a famine in the land. So they are beginning to move about because of the famine, which isn't the first time that this has happened in the scriptures. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you'll have Elijah and Elisha and David and Zedekiah and Nehemiah. All of these people experience famines. Famines are things that generally 
upset the population. There's um, something that happens, and it's outside of everyone's control, and so people have to react to that. And the famine is the catalyst for this story. Verse 3, her husband dies, and in verse 5, her two sons die. And that leaves Naomi in a tight spot. She is out of luck. We need to remember that this is a very old story, and it was written in a time when most people were farmers, herders, and it was certainly a patriarchal time. That's a big fancy scholarly word for it's a society that's dominated by dudes. The guys make all the shots. Maybe a whole lot has not changed, but this story certainly pulls it to light. And so the way that Naomi can survive is if she is tied to a man. Uh, She can be provided for by being married. And if her husband dies, she can be provided for by her surviving sons. But her sons die, and now there are no more men in her life to provide for them. And so all of this begins to roll into action the story. In verse 6, God's direct action is related to provision. It says, Then she started to return with her daughter-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. I just want to pause for a moment. Notice that the Lord considers his people, and he's considering who in the tribes of Israel needs provision. And it's the tribe of Judah that's given provision. And a a foreigner, a non-Jewish person who's called a Gentile, recognizes that God is at work over here. And so they go and seek God's provision in a land that's not familiar to them. In verse 8, she has this whole entire prepared speech lied out. She begins uh, laying into it, right? Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, so on and so forth. I don't know about you all, but if my mother-in-law is giving me the out, I'm taking it. I'm like, okay, great, I'm out of here, thank you. Uh, But that's not what happens entirely. One of uh, the daughter-in-laws does take the out and goes. Another of the daughter-in-laws, Ruth, remains faithful to her. She says, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Now this is very important to the story. We need to remember that in this particular time in Judaism, in this particular context, there is no formal way for Ruth to become a Jew. It did not work that way yet. You were either born into Judaism or you were not a Jew. (laughs) That was the delineating line. Either you were or you weren't. You could not convert. There are people and places at time in the Old Testament where people reside among the Jews and they are treated as such. There is a woman who helps the spies 
in the Old Testament. She is allowed to uh, gather with the Jewish people and is treated as a Jew, but is not a Jew. And Ruth comes back to Israel, and she lives among the people, and we'll see is treated like a Jew, but she herself is not one. What's interesting about her prepared speech in verse 13, she is being sort of ironic here. Would you then wait until they were grown, talking about if she were to like have other guys that could come and provide for her? She says, no, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. What's important to hear about this uh, story in Ruth is that the famine is never attributed to God. The, the pestilence that has fallen on the land is not attributed to God. It is something that just happens because of how the world is. But Naomi is very upset about her circumstances. And so you can hear her lament and her pain. She says, God's anger is turned against me. Notice it doesn't say that's what God did. This is about Naomi's perspective of how she sees God at work. And there's a difference there. From there, it goes on, and there's more talking, and then they eventually come to Bethlehem, which is a, a very significant um, city in Christian history, right? This is where Jesus will be born. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and they would have known this at this time. This isn't like, you know, roll into Houston. This isn't like showing up to the woodlands. This is showing up to like a small farming village. Everybody knows everybody. And as such, when they roll into town, everybody sees them coming. They know they're coming down the hill and here they are. So the town is stirred up and they go, well, hold up. We know these people. We know this woman. She married a guy from these parts and she moved away. They moved away to start something, but they're coming back and this is all different. Isn't this Naomi? And she goes, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. So she goes from this kind of full, bubbly, happy mama to this upset, bitter, angry individual. She says, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Again, Naomi's perspective is that God, in Hebrew it's called Shaddai, the Almighty One, has dealt bitterly with me. The very end, it says, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That gives us a, a time stamp on when this whole entire thing begins. The barley harvest is the earliest harvest in spring. And so you can hear it as she rolls into town. Maybe the birds are chirping, the grass is a little greener than it used to be. The plants are just beginning to pop up through the soil. And this is when our characters finish their excursion in a foreign land and return to Judah. 
I think Ruth is an incredible story, and there's so much in it for us to unpack and sit with and wrestle with. And as such, I just have a couple takeaways for us today. The first is that we have to make decisions in life, and the outcomes of those decisions are not always known to us. When Elimelech uproots his family and moves to a foreign land, I do not think he's being an evil person. I don't think he's thinking, I'm going to go over there so that the famine can break out and my family will starve and I'm going to die and my sons are going to die and it's going to be awful. Like, Elimelech is taking action with the information he has. In life, we have to make decisions. And those outcomes are not always known to us. In other words, we got to get busy living. I don't know, in this time and era of COVID-19 and quarantine and sitting at home, I know a lot of folks feel like, I just don't know what to do. Let me give some pastoral advice, and that's do something. Get busy living, because the time does not stop. We have to make decisions based off the information we have, and the outcomes are not always known to us. That's my first takeaway from the book of Ruth, and that's from the first couple verses. The second takeaway I have for us is that things happen that are far outside of our control. Things happen that are far outside of our control. And these generally produce in us a large amount of anxiety, right? But when the famine happens, no one can control it. When COVID-19 breaks out in the world, no one can control it. It is outside of your control. And so when we feel like we have to do something, we must act out of sort of, what I'm going to say, faithfulness, as opposed to anxiety. We cannot control it. And so what we need to do is act faithfully in the middle of this. We're called to respond to the circumstances that are given to us. And the the third takeaway that I have for us that I'm hearing in the story of Ruth so far is that God is moving in the middle of this. Sometimes we just have to wait a little bit longer. As we encounter Naomi and Ruth and their family in chapter one, if that's where the story ended, it would be brutal. But God, I promise you, is in the middle of Naomi and Ruth's life. And I am excited to see where God's hand is at work and the rest of the story. So I hope you'll join us next week as we encounter chapter 2 of Ruth. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue in worship, we come to a time of prayer together. I want to begin with a short pastoral prayer, and then I'll leave some time for you all to pray, either individually at home. I want to encourage you to enter your prayers, joys, and concerns into the chat there on Facebook. We love to be praying for one another.
during this time. And then I'll close with uh, the Lord's Prayer, and I would encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer uh, with me. So together, let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, we admit that at times it is difficult for us to see your hand at work. It was difficult for Naomi to see your hand at work. It was difficult for Ruth to see your hand at work, but they both had to trust that you were still there. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. So God, I pray that you would um, bolster and fill in us an attitude of faith, a posture of faithfulness as we wait to see where you are moving, not only in our lives, but the lives of our friends and families, country, and world. Gracious God, as we continue to go about our week and find this different rhythm of life as we quarantine at home or keep working because we're essential to our uh, community's well-being, gracious God, I pray that you'd be with us. Pray that you be with folks who are hospitalized during this time. Pray that you would be with our law enforcement, our first responders, and our doctors and nurses. Lord, pray that you'd be with our teachers as they grieve the school year closing a little sooner than they anticipated. God, I pray that you'd be with the overwhelmed mama and the busy grandma, and that you'd be with the family that's not near so that they can call and stop worrying and feel connected to their loved ones. Lord, we lay all of these things at your feet, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I don't know about you, but I am excited to walk through the rest of the book of Ruth with you and to encounter God anew and fresh as we see where God's hand is at work in the life of Ruth and perhaps in our lives as well. So receive this blessing. May the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the saving, abiding grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ, be with you all now and forever. Amen.